Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. As we've seen, all of the leaders uh, pretty much give a daily press conference. Uh, a lot of it is uh, regurgitated from the day before, but again, uh, a stern reminder on how we have to get a handle on this and people have to start taking the uh, the social distancing thing uh, very seriously. Uh, we're going to play you a couple of clips from Premier Doug Ford and his press conference earlier on today. Here is the Premier stressing the importance of social distancing. Right now, it is absolutely critical, I repeat critical, that as a society, we're all practicing social distancing and doing everything we can to slow the spread of this virus. We must do everything possible to avoid a situation where we see a a sudden and dramatic spike in the number of cases. And as a result, add to the already significant burden on our healthcare system. And obviously saying that the province has not been shut down, but of course, uh, social distancing in effect and what they need to do to keep the flow of supplies rolling, allowing deliveries and such outside of restricted hours. Right now, municipal noise bylaws prevent them from accepting deliveries at certain hours. So we're going to bring temporary changes to allow them to accept deliveries 24 hours a day seven days a week so people can continue to get the essentials they need and also the premier reiterating there is no need to hoard there are enough supplies to go around but people just need to buy what they need so i'm asking people once again be patient and do your part to take pressure off our supply chains please don't hoard and don't panic buy and also elaborating on how people can help each other during this time. This goes back to World War II measures. We're asking the business community to step up and uh, make a transition on their assembly lines to start producing ventilators. We're getting calls from all over saying that they'll be able to supply gowns, they'll be able to supply the face masks, they'll be able to uh, gear up for uh, the ventilators. And uh, we're ramping up every single day. And I just, I can't thank him enough. All right, that is the Premier of Ontario, for, uh, Premier Ford, speaking uh, earlier today at uh, it would have become daily press conferences between the premiers of the provinces and obviously the Prime Minister. All right, other information, and, and you know, there's so many angles to this. There's so many layers to this onion, as they say. Uh, the latest Ford, General Motors, Fiat, Honda, Toyota, shutting down their North American plants uh, because of the COVID-19 virus. How does this affect Ontario? Let's bring in Professor Rafael Gomez. Director for the Center of Industrial Relations and Human Resources at the University of Toronto and is is with us now. Raphael, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, thank you, Scott. How significant is this? Has this ever happened before? Um, well, no. We've we've not had a, a virus, at least in our lifetimes, that's that's caused this kind of dislocation. Um, but for any reason. Before, yeah. I mean, a century ago, it happened with the, uh, the so-called Spanish flu uh, pandemic, but you know, the country was a very different place then. Uh, it was still mostly agricultural, not as urban as it is today, and not as industrialized and uh, sort of integrated with the global economy. Um, but, but there is some characteristic to the recent uh, shutdowns that bears the hallmarks of what kind of recessions used to be like, which is, you know, we're hopeful that these are temporary layoffs. And, you know, in the past, those were kind of recessions were uh, 
temporary adjustments in demand caused then temporary layoffs, which is why we created an employment insurance system, because we assumed people would go back to work. Um, I think we got used to the, the 90s and into the 2000s, almost two or three decades, where you know shutdowns were permanent. And those were restructuring, which we've mm-hmm. seen in southwestern Ontario, you know, Hamilton, the steel industry. When those closures happened, whenever they opened up again, they opened up with fewer workers, not, not more. Yeah. So I think we can be hopeful that our kind of stabilizers, uh, the insurance systems, the kind of unprecedented payments that the, the federal and provincial governments will, will make to citizens will help us smooth over this hopefully temporary uh, blip in our economic activity. Will the auto industry look different uh, coming out the other end of this? Uh, it's always possible, right? Because when there are dislocations like this, <clears throat> it's an opportunity for perhaps rationalizations and, and companies doing things kind of differently. But I think not this time around because companies since the gr- the financial crisis in, in a decade ago did make a lot of changes. We saw recently, right, Oshawa's plant was shut down. A few other uh, uh, um, assembly lines have already been uh, on the docket to, to close. So unfortunately, those were bad news stories, you know, several months ago and, and a year ago. But it means that I, it's unlikely that further large-scale changes would happen as a result of this this crisis. Uh, this new normal and what we're seeing uh, more and more working from home. I'm doing yeah. that right now, which just yeah. absolutely I, I never thought in my day that I would be doing yeah. my radio show from my home office. Yeah. Um, but does this now soon become the new norm for certain industries? For example, the auto industry. Yeah, I think so. I mean, services like what we're doing and we're providing information, those can certainly, many of those things can be delocated. The technology has always been there, right? It's sort of been emerging. It's been latent. We haven't been pushed to use it. Now we have. Like for yourself, we had an, uh, at the university a major meeting of kind of all the directors and chairs of all the departments, 90 people, and we all met virtually. First time ever happened. Mm. And that that kind of software was there it was embedded we never actually used it even folks that had never <laughs> thought they would be uh, online at a, at a at a sort of meeting did so i think this could change things for the better hopefully if you think about all of the knock-on effects that you know coming into work every day the congestion if we could smooth out that work yeah have three days a week where we come in the office i think that's still good that's really important for bonding for that kind of organizational culture that you want to breed but Two days from home, probably not a bad adjustment. You bring up a valid point here to uh, Raphael is that yeah. what is the balance here? Because, yeah. y- you know, I do miss being at work. I oh, do yeah. miss and having yeah. all of those personal resources around oh, yeah. me. Um, so what is the balance here? Because, you know, even remembering, I finished yesterday, so I'm thinking, my God, I haven't even had a shower yet. Uh-huh. Uh, or even getting out of the house and going for a walk just to get yeah. away from it. Yeah, yeah, we've tipped the balance. I mean, we've gone from one extreme, everyone crushing the roads at rush hour, trying to get to work, fighting yeah. to get work back at the same time, to another extreme, everyone isolated in their homes. That's obviously not the right balance. I think the balance would be that sort of two-thirds of the week in your office, one-third of the week, and it doesn't have to be each week. It could be sort of a cumulative number that we say we build up over the year, where we can mm-hmm. say, hey, one-third of our you know, work year if it can be done from home, probably should for the better of our environment, for our own lives, so that we can balance work-life commitments. I don't think that would be a bad, bad, bad uh, kind of trade-off. 
there is that extreme. When you push too much to one end, it tends to collapse. I remember the, the, the past CEO of Yahoo, which had a complete work-from-home policy because they wanted to save on kind of all the, uh, the, the sort of costs of, of maintaining an office. It failed completely. And I think, yeah, when you push it to the extremes, uh, I think that's where you get into danger. But some balance where people can partially move some of their work at home, I think would probably do all of us in our society probably some good. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've certainly heard leaders asking business or industry to help. Um, yeah. uh, in, in, in the premier made reference to that earlier today, can the yeah. auto industry, can these industries mm. do other things while their businesses are on hold? Uh, that's like an industrial engineering question. I think, uh, but I, I think in principle, yes, C- certainly there are, um, probably needs that were less on the list of things that were the most attractive for some of these assembly plants to do. But now given the current crisis, uh, you know, you, you had a clip there from, from our premier talking about ventilators and, and other mm-hmm. manufactured goods that need to be made quickly. Um, I don't see any obstacle apart from, you know, getting competent uh, engineers in the, in, the, in the house to sort of retool things. If this is going to play out over as long as people are saying, which could be not just, you know, a couple of weeks, but several months, a year, then I think it makes sense for companies to make that investment, perhaps with the help of government, which is looking more likely. And it would make it would totally make sense. Yeah. It's almost like a wartime effort. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, we have to see how this plays out. We, we know that the countries that were most early affected, Korea and China, seem to have got it under control. And things were returning to normal, but now not because the whole world has got it. And so they, they now have to prepare for, for contagion coming from abroad back in. Uh, so I think we, we do have to not overestimate uh, uh, where this is going, but we should plan for it, plan for the worst and expect the best. I, yeah, I think certainly some smaller, more nimble manufacturing uh, establishments could retool uh, and produce things that we need currently. I think that's what the news reports are saying. I think an, an assembly line, a car assembly line is probably not built to start making, you know, yeah. hospital ventilators. But, but but who knows? There might be emergency vehicles that had been sort of waiting and latent to, 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 use, you know, to, to be built maybe those things could be put up front as no one is going to be buying, you know, their, their uh, SUV van anytime soon. We're, we've certainly heard how this has affected business, especially small business. Oh, could this be yeah. an opportunity for some? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if, if, if this, what, what's emerged from countries like Taiwan, Korea that have had this disease, they've maintained policies that have not gone to the extreme of shutdowns, but they've sort of said, you got to stay local. You know, you're no longer crossing uh, the city to go to this, you know, power center. You've got to stay local, buy your things local, and this will contain the spread of any disease. If, if things loosen up a little, this could help, you know, the neighborhood main street uh, and the businesses that are small in scale that don't, you know, put thousands of people in one, one spot, uh, dangering everyone. It could have that offsetting benefit. I agree. Uh, obviously, as we started this conversation, Ford, GM, Fiat, Honda, Toyota, uh, yeah. shuttering their North American plants uh, through this period. How do yeah. they? How difficult is it to shut down a whole industry, let alone a plant? You're seeing everybody yeah. uh, fall in line. Do they yeah. all agree to do this together? How do you make this I, decision? That that must have happened. You know, the auto sector is an interesting thing. We don't have the kind of level of coordination that they do in other countries, like in, in, in Asia and in Europe, you have industry associations that are very strong 
in Germany, it's very famous, the, the kind of car associations dominate, and they would have coordinated this. In Canada, we kind of have something similar in that, you know, three of the big automakers uh, still pattern bargain with, with the union Unifor, and it looks like they had agreed. And even though Honda and Toyota aren't unionized, they follow many of the agreements that Unifor signs with GM so they don't trail. In fact, mm-hmm. they want to be ahead, right, because they, they claim that they pay their workers better than they're unionized and so on. Um, so I think they did communicate, and I think they were in touch with their union partners because um, this couldn't have happened as rationally and as orderly as it, as it has. And it was the right thing to do together, right, because then no one is, right. is benefiting from the loss of someone else. Yeah. What about the employees? What about pay? How does it work yeah. out for them? It's a, it's a well-organized sector. So you've got... The, the classic systems that were designed for this, like our employment insurance systems, would kick in. Now, apparently, they're going to kick in even faster in this case. There are also side agreements that have been made, especially in the unionized part, to allow for extra payments should people have health conditions, and they've got great health coverage and benefits. Um, and then the federal government is likely, and provincial government is likely to step in to fill in any gaps. So this is one of those areas, one because it is, we're hoping, temporary, where all of those kind of institutions kick in and actually work. The downside, of course, is that, you know, you're never replacing, you know, full-time employment and wages in the sector, which are, are quite high. Um, and that's going to have repercussions outside. They're going to spend less and therefore affect the, the rest of the economy. But that's affecting everyone right now. So um, as far as, you know, the worst-case scenario goes, it, this seems to be a well-planned and organized worst-case scenario. How long would it take to sh- like? We're understanding that this doesn't yeah. happen. It's although it's starting now. It's going to take until the end of the month for the for for this to happen. How long yeah. and why does it take so long to shut this down? And how long will it take to fire it back up again? Well, um, non-expert exactly in the in that sense, but I think from my own um, understanding, and and I actually have toured car manufacturing plants in both North America and in Germany. Uh, what happens is you, you do have. You have just-in-time systems now. It used to be you have tons of inventory that had built up and it, and it needed to get, get used. But even now, with even just-in-time, there's still things that have to get processed through. You're in the middle of a, of a production run. To maintain safety of those vehicles, you cannot just stop you know, midway. Right. That production has to continue. So in other words, if you've got the steel that's been brought in and it's shaped and it's being kind of welded and, and getting ready, you don't just shut down. Those, mm. those cars that have and all that kind of inventory that's been stocked up to produce, say, for the next two or four weeks, that has to get produced right. or else right. you're compromising the safety of the vehicles at the other end. Yeah. Um, what what sort of impact will this have on Ontario, on Ontario workers? Well, uh, the good news is, as all, it, although it, I think things started very slowly, um, there seems to be a, 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 a realization that things have to be done very quickly to put money in the hands of the pockets of people who need it and then also to support business when and if we can. I think the, the, the more we don't worry about who may be taking advantage of, a, of, of this crisis right now and we pump that money out to as many people who ask for it without, with very minimal screens, you can always go back if you are worried and wondering if people have taken advantage of this situation and, and, get, and get the money back. I think you have to be uh, open to people who you know request help, and then you give it to them. Um, and indeed, there are also plans just to have you know money flowing to everyone, 
in order to maintain just the basics of, of necessities of life for people who've lost jobs, who are self-employed, who don't have those insurance systems that were that are present, at least in, in sectors like auto. How uh, will other industries, uh, large industries, react to this? I mean, we're still getting lots of, of email and notes from people who are, for example, personal care workers or people yeah. who are on the front line saying, I'm here and they're not shutting us down. They're not giving us what we yeah. need to, to, to be protective. Yeah. How will other industries react once they see companies this size shuttering? Um, it's, it's hard, right, because the personal care industry is kind of an essential service at the moment. Yeah. And yet, you're right. They don't have the same leverage and voice that an auto sector does. And yet there are far more people in that sector right now doing work. Um, so I, I, it's difficult because there is not an organized uh, voice. You don't have a Jerry Diaz and a Unifor spokesman speaking for, for the PSW workers, unfortunately. And I think that's a real gap in our, in our labor market that you don't have enough um, organized workers in that sector so that when moments like this, the crisis hits, there's an organized response. Too many of these workers are not unionized. And I'm not saying unionization is the panacea for every problem, but in moments like this, it does a lot to help because then you have an organized sector that has a representative speaking to government, speaking to their business partners, and can work through these crises. So you've just identified a real gap, and I hope maybe something that happens out of this crisis is that we can at the very least establish some form of, of representation for these workers so that their concerns and voices are heard because they are so essential. When you see industries like this or, or companies like this shutting down, uh, does that confirm uh, how serious this is and this will not be a quick fix? I think so. I mean, these are very rational actors. You know, they don't make decisions like this on a whim. And in fact, we know they didn't because it's, it's taken this long yeah. for them to act. But it was clear this happened in China that we don't, get the reporting that we get here but it's happened in china it just wasn't reported because of the fallout of you know of, of china admitting that it, it had dropped the ball and had not acted quickly enough factories were shut shuttered wholesale industries that were based around that province in wuhan uh had to had to close down and so if it happened there where the crisis started it would eventually happen here and so these industries have done a proactive move um we haven't heard reports of you know widespread um, of, of the virus spreading widespread in in in, in those sectors in that fa in those factories, but it could and it, and it might already have. So, I think they acted prudently. I think it was well managed, and maybe you know, like as I said, out of this crisis, there are good things that come from it. This level of cooperation between the union, the government, and the industry, I think, signals a, a positive turn. Even though in the short run, it, it hurts us even more economically. All right. Uh, joining us has been Professor Rafael Gomez, Director of the Center for Industrial Relations and Human Resources at the University of Toronto. Ford, GM, Fiat, Honda, Toyota announcing they are shutting down their uh, North American plants by the end of the month. Rafael, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Enjoy your work from home. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, an interesting aspect of this is, uh, and perhaps why we may need some sort of further shutdown, is, you know, probably the majority of the people are conforming to social distance and self-isolation when they can. But we're hearing all kinds of stories of people who are not uh, neighbors, co-workers, friends, 
of people who they know have been away and have come back and are not self-isolating for 14 days as the government has asked you to do. Uh, we've got calls or uh, notes rather from people who are in the personal care industry who are very concerned about uh, going into others' homes and also doing extra work for their clients that they're not supposed to really do, like getting them stuff from the store that uh, that they can't that they need and, and they can't get out to get. Uh, this these are all things that that are uh, I guess within some company guidelines that they are not to do, just stick to the basics of their job. But again, are finding them in these predicaments. Uh, we're getting all kinds of calls from people who have noticed co-workers that have come back when they shouldn't have come back. People working even in the medical industry and behind medical counters that shouldn't be there because customers know that they have been away. So how do you police this in, in with, with people who are supposed to be voluntarily uh, isolating themselves who have been out of the country and on the other hand uh, workers who are out there on the front lines what sort of rights do they have let's bring in Howard Lovett employment lawyer he, employment lawyer he is with us now Howard thank you for the time much appreciated happy to be here how much of a concern how much are you hearing about these vulnerable employees that are on the front lines that are looking for some sort of guidance but but seem to be lost at this point well let's understand this if we're talking about doctors and healthcare professionals, they assume a certain risk in going into the profession. They're going to be dealing inherently throughout their careers with ill people. And they can't say, we're not going to do it now. Mm. They should obviously put in prophylactic masks and otherwise do things to protect themselves. But the average employee, who is probably representing the vast majority of your calls, has a right to say to your employer, I need to be protected. You can't let anybody into the workplace that has been out of the country in the last two weeks, that's been exposed to someone in the last two weeks, that has any kind of flu symptoms or other symptoms of COVID-19. And if you do, I'm leaving and expect to be paid. And if they... If they can't prove that, but they still feel somewhat imperiled, they have the right to call an occupational health and safety inspector. And are you sorry? Go ahead. Sorry. Are you anticipating uh, an abundance of calls like this in the immediate future? Yes. If it haven't already occurred, yes. You mean to me, or do you mean to health health and safety inspector? Well, all of it, absolutely. I mean, because we're certainly hearing from, from, from listeners who are very concerned about all of this. I understand a lot of it. It's simply they have to come to work. The employer has the right to say we're not going to let everybody go home and work from home because a lot of times productive work can't be done from home. And in any event, it depends on the job. And in any event, um, even if it could be done from home, it's still the employer's right where it has to occur. But the fact is the employer has to take the right steps to ensure that employees are protected. And if they don't, then employees, the easy legal route is to call an occupational health and safety inspector to adjudicate upon that. And they can shut down the business or they can force them to change their practices or refuse to work under those circumstances and ask and require to be paid. So if an employer is is uh, providing you with a job in a situation, however, you are concerned because of contact with other people, what have you, you don't have uh, the tools in the toolbox to be safe, 
uh, that is when it becomes an issue. That is when the employer owes you something here. Yes, if it's not safe. But if the right. employer has lots of sanitizers, has social distancing, um, makes sure the that proper no one's allowed in the workplace, including customers or members of the public that have any kind of symptoms or that otherwise have been out of the country, then for the requisite period of time, then you do not have the choice as an individual worker to say, I just feel generally apprehensive about being out of my house, so I'm not going to work. Now, the employer may well allow you to stay home, but don't mm-hmm. expect to be paid in those circumstances. Right. Now, if employers are sending people home, they have to pay them. Right. And understand that if they lay off employees, as they are doing right now in large numbers, because there's not a lot of work, because there's not a lot of business, that is legally a wrongful dismissal, and the employee can sue for full wrongful dismissal damages of up to 24 months' pay. What about if you're in a place of business and you're concerned because somebody else may have been infected or traveled to a hot spot and is just and is not taking the proper precautions? What responsibility does the employer have there? To ensure that person's out of that place immediately and didn't go in in the first place. And if right. they haven't behaved that way and someone gets infected, then that person can sue the employer and anyone they infect in turn can sue the employer. So employers, they understand this, a powerful incentive to keep their workplaces very safe and ensure employees mm-hmm. take all that the people aren't allowed near the place who aren't entirely safe and the people within the workplace keep social distancing maintained at all times. So uh, if you are in one of these scenarios uh, and in order to continue to work, you must have what is needed in order to keep you safe. But after they have provided, whether it's social distancing, uh, whether it's uh, the proper attire, whether it's uh, disinfectant wipes or what have you, once the employer has done everything they can to try to keep everybody uh, reasonably safe, then it's fine. Is that accurate? Then the employee has no choice to say, I personally feel fearful. I personally don't want to work. And the employer may say, that's fine. We'll we'll let you accept a layoff until you're ready to come back to work and not discharge you. But they could even discharge you. I don't think any Mm -hmm. employer right now would do that. Employers right now, everybody's concerned with reputation. It's all new grounds for everybody. They're more likely to say, okay, I'll let you stay home, but I'm not going to pay you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we've heard reports of, for example, uh, technicians that have to go into a house to do something, uh, repair people uh, that have to go into a house to do something that uh, that their employer isn't providing masks or whatever they need to enter these houses. How do you make that decision, what they're going to need to enter a customer's house? Has that well, even been Well, anybody who enters strange homes should be should be wearing masks and the employer should be providing that for them, ensuring they're permitted to do that. And again, that's a situation where the employee would say, I feel a peril of the job and call the Ontario Occupational Health and Safety Branch and ask for an inspector to make that determination. And it's also new that I don't know that many determinations have been made yet or that even the inspectors are up to task on what the criteria should be. But there's also an imperative of allowing business to continue. So if people need healthcare workers, if people need technicians to fix their computers that aren't operating as people are trying to work from home, um, that's part of the balancing act as well. So if there are some out there that are concerned uh, about their rights, where should they go? Is there any quick way to get information on this, Howard? A lot of the information is really medical. 
they have to show that they have a legitimate substantive claim that they are at risk. Mm-hmm. If they have such a claim, they don't have to put themselves into that position unless, again, they're a frontline healthcare worker who, with proper masks, et cetera, takes that risk as part of their fundamental job. Doctors, for example, are with sick people their whole careers. That's a risk, yeah. that's a casualty and a risk of that profession. So they can't say, I'm going to not work in that environment because they've always worked in that environment. In fact, we rely upon them to cure us when we become sick. But for the average person, they're going to have to show there's a real tangible risk. The employer's being careless about who it's letting into the workplace, or it's not enforcing social distancing, or it's not allowing people lots of time to go to, to go to the, to use the facilities and wash their hands regularly. It's not having enough hand sanitizers. That's what they're going to have to prove in order to be permitted to not enter that workplace. Is it best to, where do you start with this? Is this best to, to have this conversation with your immediate supervisor and then go from there? I'd go to human resources, if there's a human resources department, right away, if yeah. I feel imperiled. And, have, and also, if you're going to say you're imperiled, you better come up with a reason. You can't just say, you know, there, there's a virus around, I don't want to come to work, I understand other people are working from home, I want to work from home too. Especially. Well, there you go right there, Howard. What about that? Everyone else is working from home, how come I have to work? That's not good enough? It's not good enough, no. You have to prove that somehow this is a threat to you in some way. And, yes, and, the employer's and not taking proper precautions. Right. Because a lot of businesses, a lot of jobs in businesses, don't aren't compatible with working from home. Howard Levitt has been with us, employment lawyer. Uh, many people expressing their concerns over businesses staying open and others who may be ill during this pandemic at work. Howard, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Anytime. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.